0: man won't change the masters.
1: This is the day the Lord hath made, so let us rejoice and be glad in it. My name is Hal Brady, and I want to wish you the very best new year possible, the best new year you've ever had in this year, 2013. Thank you for joining us for this program tonight, and I trust it'll be a blessing for you, both in word and in music. I'm going to read now our scripture lesson, which comes from Luke's Gospel, chapter 2, beginning at verse 41. And I'm reading from the New King James Version. His parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. When they had finished the days, as they returned, the boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem. And Joseph and his mother did not know it. But supposing him to have been in the company, they went a day's journey and sought him among their relatives and acquaintances. So when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem seeking him. Now so it was that after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. So when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. And he said to them, Why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? But they did not understand the statement which he spoke to them. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them. But his mother kept all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and men. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you join me now please for a word of prayer? O God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, which are our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. In the midst of all the hype about a new year, do you have any new New year resolutions? Speaking of resolutions, I saw some the other day that all of us would do well to heed. These resolutions were written by a lady called Virginia Anderson, and they're called simple resolutions that can save time or life. One, take a CPR or first aid course, or both. Two, recharge your batteries, smoke alarms, and your own. Three, drink more water. Four, take baby steps, walk briskly thirty minutes a day. Five, test yourself for the various diseases. Six, get more sh- sleep. Seven. Be safe on the roads, drive the speed limit, buckle up. Eight, take five fruits and vegetables. Nine, learn medicine. Ten, do your math, know your own healthy numbers. I repeat in the midst of all the hype about a new year, do you have any new year's resolutions? You might want to ask me the same question. Well, Hal, do you have any new year's resolutions? I do, and I call it the resolution for the years. I've made it my own, and I trust you'll consider making it your own New Year's resolution. We learn about it from Luke's story of Jesus' boyhood. You remember that story. Here we have Joseph and Mary and Jesus going to Jerusalem for the Passover. They go with their friends and relatives. When a Jewish boy became 12 years of age, he became a man. Some scholars say 13. He was actually... He became a son of the law, so consequently he had to take the obligations of the law upon himself. Jesus' first trip was probably this one at 12 years of age. I imagine he was absolutely fascinated by what he saw in the temple and what he saw in Jerusalem. It was an amazing time. But when the allotted time was over, Joseph and Mary and their relatives wanted to get out and leave and get back to their houses and back to their tasks. How do you suppose Joseph and Mary got out of Jerusalem without Jesus? Well, the scholarly William Barclay, he's dead now, but the scholarly William Barclay gives us one explanation. He says the women would leave earlier because they travel slowly on a caravan. He said the men would travel together, they would leave later because they travel faster, but they would not meet up until they got to the encampment. That's one possibility as to why they missed Jesus. But at any rate, when they realized they missed him, Joseph and Mary went back in panic to Jerusalem. And they found him in the temple, discussing and asking questions of the great religious scholars. People were amazed at his answers. When Mary got there, though, she said, Jesus, what is this? Your father and I have been anxiously looking for you. Why did you do this to us? Jesus said, how did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? About my father's business. That's it. That's the resolution we need, not only for 2013, but for all the years ahead about the father's business. If we want to be part of God's enterprise in the world, then we must be about the father's business. So the question is, how can we be about the father's business? First of all, by acknowledging God's claim on our lives. This is what Luke's story of Jesus' boyhood is really all about. Up to this time, it's others who have been making claims for Jesus. About his mission and ministry, others have been making these claims for Jesus. For instance, the angels, Mary, Elizabeth, Zacharias, the shepherds, Simeon, and Anna. But now, in this story of Jesus' boyhood, Jesus claims God's claim on his own life he makes the claim for himself Jesus insistence that I must be about my father's business shows that his life would be guided by his unique relationship to the father I want you to notice he said I must be sometimes this is swallowed up in the great pronouncement I must be he said notice I must be in other words it was absolutely essential that it be about his father's business. You know, we can get a handle on this if we simply think of confirmation classes. Let's think about a mother and a father presenting a child for baptism. Here is a mother and father presenting a child for baptism. It is a decision the parents make. They are making the decision for their child. But in doing so, what they're saying is, we claim that God has a claim on our child. And as long as we work with the church and other people, this child will be raised in the admonition and ways of the Lord. But later when this child receives Christ on his own, he makes his own decision. He makes his own claim as far as Jesus living in his life. So what are we talking about here? We're talking about the priority of God in our lives. We're talking about having a God consciousness in our lives. Some time ago, I had the opportunity of listening to Bill Hybels. He spoke in a community prayer breakfast, and he spoke about having an ear toward God, having an ear toward God. And then he gave his own reasons as to how we can know whether these suggestions are really coming from God or from ourselves. He said, test the spirits. He said, first of all, test the Bible. Are these promptings from God in line with the central teachings of the Scripture? And then he said, we can test Jesus. Would Jesus do these things? The test of wisdom and love is this wise and loving. In other words, we can test to see if the Spirit really is of God, simply by doing these things. Who of us will ever forget the movie, An Affair to Remember? This movie you remember, T.C. Carey Grant and Deborah Carr. Who will ever forget that scene where they were going to meet at the top of the Empire State Building and they missed each other. How tragic it is when lovers missed each other and yet it happens all the time, all the time. It was St. Augustine who said that this applied to his own understanding and dealing with God. He said in his confessions, listen, God was inside me but I was outside myself and that is how we missed each other. He said, God was inside me, and I was outside myself. That is how we missed each other. What did he mean when he said he was outside himself? Maybe we can understand if we think about this young guy who had lived his life to adulthood pretty selfishly. But one night he went and he had a dream. He dreamed of how he had wasted his life. And suddenly, there beside him was a stranger, a figure. Looking at him is through the eyes of God who was ashamed. And all this stranger said was, well, and he said he suddenly began to realize that that was the judgment of God on his life. Suppose you arrive at where you want to go in your personal life. You are now having wonderful standing. You have influence. You are very much a part of everything. You've done the best you can. But suddenly when you get to that point, you realize you did it without God. God was not a part of this process. And so, as we're told, maybe this is what damnation or hell is. We reach where we want to go, but God has not been a part of the process. And we realize that. But here was St. Augustine. He missed God. He actually longed for God. At the age of 30, he was life-weary. He suddenly realized what he said later. Thou hast made us for thyself, O God, and our hearts are restless until we rest in thee. Now, I want us to think about this. What are we talking about? We're talking about whether God has priority in our lives. We're talking about whether we have a God consciousness. We're talking about whether God lives within us and we live outside ourselves. One of the ways that we can be about God's business is to recognize God's claim on our lives. And then secondly, we can be about God's business by becoming people of the book, God's book. Little Susie was in the first grade. And she went home one day and she said to her mother, Adam and Eve had two children, a boy and a girl. Her mother said, no, Adam and Eve had two boys. She said, no, a boy and a girl, Cain and Mabel, Cain and Mabel. When the young Jesus first answered God's call to be about his business, what did he do? He went into the temple. There we are told that he got involved with the meanings and messages of God's word. If we are really going to be a part of God's enterprise in the world, we're going to have to understand what God is saying to us in his word. We're going to have to understand what he's promised us in his word. That is critically important. In a nutshell, Philip Yancey says that the Bible from Genesis 3 to Revelation 22 tells the story of a God reckless with the desire to get his family back. And he made the first step of reconciliation when he sent his son on the long trip to planet Earth, And we're told that at the end of this, in Revelation, it's just like when the prodigal son came home, the family is all back together and there is great rejoicing. And then we're told in the Gospels the extent to which God went to bring about this story. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Greater love hath no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. An African-American woman was enjoying the Bible. Somebody came over to her and said, Are you reading the Bible? She said, No, this book is reading me. How true that is. A man got lost in West Virginia. He went into this town and he saw a West Virginian. And this traveler said, Listen, I'm lost. Can you help me? The West Virginia fellow said, Listen, do you know where you are? The traveler said, yes, I'm in this town. I saw the name of the sign of the town. The West Virginian said, do you know where you want to go, your destination? Yes, he said, and he named the city. Then the West Virginian said, you're not really lost. You just need direction. That's true of all of us, and the Bible gives us our direction. It gives us our direction along with experience and reason and tradition, but the Bible mainly gives us our direction. John Wesley John Wesley, the great Methodist leader, was taught the scripture when he was a child. He went in depth in the scripture as a steward at Oxford. He preached the Bible. And when he was advising the Methodists, he taught them and gave them advice from the Bible. He believed the Bible was the basis of all Christian belief and practice, first, last, and always. It was the Bible. I have a friend named Jim Moore. And he said that for years, people have been coming to the Bible, approaching the Bible, in these ways. Let's just think about it for a minute. Some people approach the Bible allegorically, allegorically. There's a difference between an allegory and a parable. A parable is a story that has one point, one central point. An allegory is a story that has meanings in everything. There are hidden meanings in everything. The danger of reading the Bible as an allegory is we tend to read our own projections of things into the scripture. Rather than getting from the Scripture, we read into the Scripture. Other people approach the Bible as literalist. In other words, they seem to believe and take every word at face value. They claim to do that, but they don't really do it because we give interpretation to whatever we do. Other people approach the Bible academically. In other words, we bring the highest integrity we have in terms of our study of the Bible. We want to know who wrote it, why it was written, Where was it written? Where is it located in the Bible? We're talking about context. We're talking about context. The only way to really understand the Scripture is to read it in context, to read it in context. But there's only one shortcoming here. God is not subject matter. God is a living reality. And then other people approach the Scripture personally. These people read the Scripture as if it was a personal letter written from God to them. They understand it that way, and they do all they can to read it as a participant and not a spectator. Now, what is the best way to read the Scripture? I think the best way to read the Scripture is a combination of three and four. We read it academically. We bring our integrity to our academic understanding of the Bible. We read it in context. And then the second way we read it most meaningfully is personally. Personally. We don't read it as a spectator. We read it as a participant. And now we move on to this third thing. This is something else we need to remember as we relate to the scriptures. We can be about the Father's business by living in the world, but not of the world. By living in the world, but not of the world. Being about God's business doesn't mean that we simply go into the temple or the church and stay there. It doesn't mean we simply sit around reading the Bible or discussing theology all the time. You remember, Jesus began in the temple, but he didn't stay there. He followed Mary and Joseph back out into the world. Hear me now, if we're going to be a part of God's great enterprise in the world, we're going to have to be in the midst of the world. But as God's company, we don't need to be of the world. We need to be in the world, but we need to be different. There's a story of a British preacher who got on a local bus and when he got on the bus he had to have some change. The driver gave him his ticket but gave him the wrong amount of change. When the preacher went back to his seat he discovered that fact and he got to deciding what he should do about it. You see the change was in his favor but in the past he had had some short change times. But when it came to the stop, the bus did, he went up to the driver and he said you made a mistake, you gave me the wrong change. The driver said, no, I didn't make a mistake. He said, I heard your sermon last Sunday, and I just wanted to see if you really preached and meant what you said. All right, then I want us to think about what this man is is saying right here. Richard Stearns from World Vision. He's written a book called The Hole in the Gospel. He says the idea behind the book is very simple. He said, it's basically the belief that being a follower of Jesus Christ, requires much more than just having a personal and transforming relationship with God. It also entails a public and transforming relationship with the world. God wants those of us who follow him to look at the world with different standards. He wants us to forgive our friends and our enemies. He wants us to love our friends and our enemies. He wants us to identify with the poor. He wants us to live sacrificial lives. In other words, we're called to be different. We're called to be different in the world. And that says a lot. We're called to be the salt, the light, and the leaven. And that is no accident. Now, when we pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. We are praying to be different. When we say, hallowed be thy name, we are asking God to make his name holy And we are pledging ourselves not to misrepresent God's name in any way. When we pray, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done, we're praying to be not a part of the old kingdom, a kingdom of division and a kingdom of labels, but a part of a new kingdom, a part of a new kingdom. When we simply say, all right, God, rule and overrule in all the affairs of individuals and communities and nations and the world. We're also saying rule and overrule in my life. That's what we are also saying. Max Cleland told about his grandmother, whom he loved dearly. He said to his grandmother, what do you think about life? She said, I did it the best I knew. That's also what I'm saying. I want to do it the best I know in terms of life. And I believe you also want to do your life the best you know. Jesus said, "Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? This is a resolution not only for 2013 but for all the years. All the years is being about the business of God." Let us pray. Lord, how thankful we are for this beginning of a brand new year. We are grateful for your safekeeping during the past, and we are grateful for the fact that we can give all of our soul sheets to you and be done with them. We're grateful now, God, for a new sheet, a new opportunity, a new chance. We ask, O God, that you bless us as we seek to take advantage of that chance and be about your business. Guide us and direct us, and we'll be sure to give you all the praise and the glory. Amen. Thank you again for being with us in this ministry. We appreciate your prayers. As I have said so many times, nothing is going to happen in this ministry or any other that is not prayed about. Also, we thank you for your financial support, and I ask that God would bless you and make you a blessing this year, all year long. It's in his name I pray that prayer. Hey, Good night. The colors
0: fill the canvas up, the seasons as they change, and everywhere I look I see your And dawn. Um...